clubhouse audio it's great because it's just it's like built it's just you know your ear does this thing where you just get used to stuff like if you hear a kick drum on an iphone jamming you're like oh yeah because your ears knows the sound and fills it in and so now when you're on clubhouse and it's on mobile and you're looking at a mobile and you understand the other person's talking on mobile and you know it's not like a produced thing just like the telephone quality is not great but you you're so used to it that it works. Right. So Clubhouse is audio native to how it's built and how you use it and where your psychology is. Very yeah. smooth. Very smooth. Audio has really made a comeback, I think. It, it maybe maybe it will comeback's it, oh, just getting going, my man. Well, I just I've just been noticing it more and more how important it is to TikTok. Like it oh, just, yeah. like uh and uh Ruby made a video of our dog. She, it didn't. The, our dog doesn't like slime. She yelled up slime, and our dog takes off running. And I could, I could just immediately add a song uh, on TikTok to it. She said, "Can I, we put it on TikTok on your?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." So we immediately added a song, and you could still do the levels of the audio from the video. You could hear the dog's, you know, uh, feet going against the wood floor. And I, and I was like, "Man, this is just so awesome!" Like, there's so much here, and uh, and my it's kids dense. already know uh, ASMR or whatever. They're, yeah. Uh, they already know what that is. We were walking in the snow today, and Ruby's yeah. like, man, I wish I had a microphone and record this snow, me stepping in it. It's so satisfying. I was like, <laughs> going to record everything. I was like, my yeah. God, my daughter yes. knows that, that that would be something you would yeah. want to hear. She's like, that's content. Yeah. She's yeah, actually thinking, like, I could make money off of this. That's all she's thinking about. Yeah, she definitely wants to like, have you. Perverts would pay famous. me money. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is perverts exactly what they're going to That is that, <laughs> I do. Uh, art will be pushed even more farther towards personal earned income but that might make it even better i mean maybe that's all what it always was i mean all artists are trying to make money they just often didn't get to i mean they would have loved it yeah true true they didn't get to yeah that's what i always felt like uh like all the painters and stuff they didn't maybe didn't really get that that rich or famous or whatever and then i always feel that feel the same way about uh 10 years uh, before us on Tooth and Nail. <laughs> All those bands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't yeah. make shit, man. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of them, we've talked to some, especially with Labeled and stuff like that, and they were like, I mean, we were a good band. And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. this dumbass Emery comes along, what, just a few years later, and somehow, I mean, they were that much better than us? Right. I mean, we're, I mean our careers lasted 20 years. Just yeah. put, did one of our biggest shows ever with our special, and I mean, some of those bands in, you know, early years yeah. of Tooth and Nail, just, you know, it, it just wasn't there yet. The market cap wasn't there. You could just right. Like, it just wasn't. Right. They could be dominant or the best, but it was just. A, and there wasn't. There wasn't. It wasn't a product so much as it became. You know, in right. a commercial sense. So well, that's, I think it's in some in some sense the measure of your success is equal to the amount of your um. What's the word I'm looking for? 
fortitude. So the the longer you stick it out, the more successful you become. And a lot of those bands, because they were so broke, just didn't right. stick it out. But if they would have stuck it out, who knows, yep. you know? And that's why a lot of bands get back together, of course, too. But the, to me, right. this is what I was hoping to talk with y'all about tonight anyway, is uh, I was thinking about it in the same way that like um, the, from doing Labeled, really, it stuck in my mind early during our career that Christian music was changing while we were part of it. Like, I, like not that we did anything, but just I observed the time we started our career until we ended it and what happened and how different Christian music was from the beginning to the end. And the only difference was people like us and other bands that we knew. And then all of a sudden there was this whole shift in that microculture. And then I thought, well, that microculture is a big attached to a big culture, attached to a big culture. So to me, I've always been fascinated by these things that are microcultures or something. So it's like, and, and it's that gives it that attraction while you're almost a part of something. And then Mars Hill, I felt like it was the same kind of a thing. It's like, this is something happening on the edge of something. And you just can feel whatever energy that is right when it's on the wave. And a certain amount of people get attracted to that. And then it connects to the next culture. And, and but it seems like nothing, just dumb people, you know, doing dumb stuff at the time. And then on the other hand, when artists take themselves and their art so seriously, it's like my least favorite thing ever. And so, I, you know, when Dan has a survey, when he, when he gave that survey to us, he's been posting around all. I mean, it's a big deal. I, would, I'm, I really want to hear about that from Dan. But when I got it, it I had— I saw an the, ad for it on Pornhub. I was like, wow, <laughs> that Dan's reach. Guys, Dan's I reach is wild. out all the stops. <laughs> yeah. he, will not, he will not stop. It's amazing. Yeah, you can tell Dan's keyed up because it hits everywhere. You know, he's hitting everybody up. Everybody's doing it. And everything, but it, it's yeah. really exciting. I'm going to talk about it because it's real scientific research that's been that is happening. On I don't even know how to, to explain it, but you you were asking questions in the qualifying part of it of like bad Christian and liturgist and this scene and all, and you're listening a bunch of yeah you know cult little communities to me, just little communities of a podcast and stuff that are you know part of something that is being now researched in academia during a time when stuff is changing super big and evangelicals as yeah. it affects the vote and then the country and as everybody knows i think we've just now started a real pivotal pivotal time where we've gone from the we're seeing the end of the physical age and the beginning of the digital age is the hinge point i think we're at overall i call that march 15th 2020 um when you look back i think that's what you'll see yeah. so mm. it, on yeah. one hand it seems like this grandiose all this stuff but on the other hand it just seems like what it you know what is this stuff serious? Like, is this real? Mm. So Dan tells about the survey and how the and what is the name of this community? Now, is it a scene, a deconstructional event? I mean, what are we even talking about? Yeah, now? it's a good question. Well, so for for methodological reasons, I can't tell you what I'm hoping to find with the survey. Uh, I will. I'm happy to come on. I'm sure we'll chat about that once I get the results in. But if I tell people what I'm looking for, it might influence the kind of people who choose to take it, which would then invalidate the results. So that's why I can't talk about it. But I can tell you broadly, it's, it's looking at a range of possible experiences that anybody has had in a Christian church or Christian group setting. So mission organization, young life, church, whatever. But what you're getting at, Matt, is that one of the questions early on is how many progressive Christian podcast episodes a week do you listen to? This is one of the screening questions. And the that actually came about for kind of boring methodological reasons, which is that I don't know yet who the, the results can be generalized to. 
yet. So if I ask that question, I can separate out all the people who like listen to this show or listen to my show or whatever. That might just be a weird population that's not really like the rest of the country. But that's fine. It'd just be good to know that. But then the cool thing is, like you're getting at, I'm going to now have all this data about that group of people of which I am a part and my podcast is a part of that world. Your podcast is a part of that world. And uh, there's not a lot of data uh, on us. Like I did a survey internally of my patrons on Facebook. I got a couple hundred responses that told me some stuff. I thought of a few things to ask them. But this is like legit going to be peer reviewed research. And we're going to find out uh, quite a bit, like even some of the stuff I I can talk about some of like the demographic questions, for instance, like we're going to find out um, the the churches that people spent time in, how much of it was male or mixed gender leadership? What was the racial, what was the racial makeup of the church? What was the racial makeup of the leadership? how do you consider yourself theologically? What do you think about the Bible? Like some of these things that come in at the end of the survey, um, all I'm going to be able to compare that to people who don't listen to these podcasts. And I, like as a nerd, I am really excited about that to get like a pretty good look in at this. I mean, we're, it's going to end up with like maybe a thousand people who listen to these podcasts taking this survey. So a big, big a really nice representative sample of at least one corner of that, which is like, you know, all the white progressive Christian podcasts basically. Yeah. Cause I don't really, I'm not friends with the black ones. And so, or the Asian ones. Uh, and so I don't have as much reach there, but still it's, it's going to be like a shit ton of data. There's going to be some very interesting things to be found about it. Um, and you're kind of already getting at some of what I think is going to be interesting. Yeah. And so what is how when you say like, you know, we live in the time of so much junk of dirt surveys and data and things like that. Right. How is it? What does it really mean that this is peer reviewed or something like that instead of just you make a survey to get data for your website analytics? So there are all kinds of ways that you might want to collect data that seems good to you but that people who have thought a lot about this stuff have recognized would actually mess up your results. And so basically peer reviewed just means people whose job it is, is to collect data will eventually be reviewing the process of what I did before I can publish it in any meaningful way. And they will point out to me anything that I did wrong. And before that happened, I ran it by multiple people who, who go through dissertation stuff like this with students all the time and they know what to look for and they're helping me avoid common mistakes. This um, is the process by which stuff can be cited and then be in books that people are going to write in the next yeah, time academic period books. about this time period. Right. I mean, yeah. in theory, like somebody writing a book, like um, how do I, so if somebody writes a book, let's say in 2022, two years from now, someone's working on a book about the population of American Christians who have deconstructed and listened to all these podcasts, which we know from our conversations with people in this world is something like 5 million people. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Some of those liturgist episodes I've heard have gotten two, 3 million downloads. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a big population of people. If you think about how many white evangelicals there are, that makes sense. So if someone does that, like this may end up being the only one of two 
proper quantitative studies of that group of people that has real data that was carefully collected. So I would expect that it would be cited for something like that. Of course, I, I don't get to choose who cites it, but there won't be a lot else to look at. There, there's other things that people look at for like people who leave the church, you know, nuns and duns and spiritual but not religious. There's a lot of research on those folks, but there's really very little on the, the podcast-specific crowd. Mm-hmm. But what well, attracted sorry. you to, I mean, I know you do a podcast, but what, what are you looking to find or what was the interest there with just the podcast element like that? You think those people reveal some truth that you couldn't find none the others or what? No, definitely not that. So this is the kind of this is the kind of boring being careful stuff. I wanted to just measure all these experiences for American Christians. But as I started to talk about this with, for instance, my dissertation advisor, he was like, well, you know, the thing is, Dan, you don't have a budget to find a representative U.S. sample population that costs a lot of money. You know, like you you have to go through census forms and you sometimes have to pay people a little bit to take those surveys. You know, Baylor does that. The, the general social survey every year. Pew Research. These are companies with a ton of funding. So I don't have that. But what I do have is like this network. I'm friends with you guys. I'm on your podcast network. I have my own show. I've interviewed a bunch of people who have their own shows. And to be able to get somewhere between one and 3,000 respondents at my level of training is like unheard of. So it is its own kind of thing. Now, all things equal, would I love to have $20,000 to go find, you know, 1,500 representative U.S. Christians in age, race, you know, whatever. Yes, I'd love to do that. And maybe someday I will. But this is not nothing. It will and, – and it also has the additional added benefit of telling me something about the group of which I'm a part, which is I'm also interested in. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about it is being in the in the group and, like, isn't that weird to be in the group? And, uh, I mean – I don't know. I'm just saying from our po- <laughs> from the point of view of the podcaster or person in this s- world, it feels like just kind of silliness. <laughs> sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, like, how can you take it so seriously is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know? Well, it's hard because I can't, I can't say a lot about what I'm particularly looking for, and that is a lot of the motivation is the thing that I can't talk about right now because I don't want to mm. skew it. Um, but I'll just say that there is something very interesting going on that we have been a part of, and you might not care, and I don't. Ca- it's fine if you don't care. You individually, listener, or you, Matt Carter, might not care what official research would tell us about it. And that's fine. You don't have to care. But it is interesting. Like millions of young people have peeled off of white evangelicalism in the United States. And a lot of them have stopped going to church and started listening to podcasts instead. And this is like a kind of a media, a religious media revolution of sorts. I mean, if you look at the raw numbers, it's insane. I mean, the the shifting from the pews into the digital space. I said uh, that's exactly what I think Carter was talking about before. Was yeah. that's not just in that realm; that's in every realm. It feels like, yeah. like it's not just the church, right. you know, expanding into a digital space. 
it's like it's everything from from it's like all these it's like it's like Robin Hood. It's like Redditors. Right. That's, like, that's right. It's everything's without the institution on the outside of the institution forging their own path, you know, um, building apps or tools or online communities, you know, where they see needs. And it seems like that par- that what you just explained, Dan, has paired parodies all over. Yeah. Culture. Let me let me hazard a, an analogy. So let's say if you're one of the you're a Redditor type or you want to do your own stock trading because you tried to play the game and you tried to get a job with these kind of benefits. And you know what happened? The Edward Jones guy told me this. I lost a bunch of money. That didn't work out for me. I could tell that this system is just fucking over the little guy or whatever. I'd rather do something else. I'm going to get into cryptocurrency. Okay. So that's, that is a story that a lot of people have right now. Well, if I can figure out what happened in the Christian experiential lives of all these people that have turned largely from church to podcast. Of course, some of us still do both. That's not a perfect, uh, it's not perfectly that way, but like, what if we could find out what happened? Like, that's interesting. Uh, anytime we can discover what's the version of, I tried this, this is the thing that happened. It didn't work. And how many people did that same thing happen to? Um, I think that's worth knowing, and I'm personally very interested to know that. <laughs> so this makes almost like a really good way to set up a little micro-debate then, because you have institution mania Dan Koch, the institutional, coastally academic, uh-huh. yeah. in, right in this corner. We've got four people, so um, I'll just Against more everyone them. else. No, I'm going to help. <laughs> I'll help you out. because I don't I'll have any out. allies. I don't know what you're but, talking about. But, but McDonald's agreeing with him on the side of what the— you know the stonks, as they call it, and the right. redditors, and the you know these game crypto cur- it's cryptocurrency. It's people losing faith in the monetary yeah mi- myth mythological narrative of this paper is worth money. You know, like it's the whole thing, right? But both so both Dan and McDonald have this train going of this is big, this is stuff like that. But I think in the third corner, um, Toby, do you think we're actually in the middle of a revolution like these two do? <laughs> A revolution? Yeah, that, that we, you hear these two revolutions. You know, Dan Koch's okay. worried about upholding yeah. the institution. Uh, uh, McDonald thinks it's going to come down. He represents the crypto. Well, but, Dan but, represents the man. And Toby but Matt says, Carter, you also ain't no said revolution coming. We just, coming. We just switched up. from uh, from physical to a digital revolution. And, oh, I'm just I'm just That's saying. True. Yes, I do believe that. Digital That's what revolution. I'm I do. Good call, That's where Mac. I come from. But yeah. Toby, I think, what's your stance? What type of revolution do you think we're in, Toby? I hadn't really thought about it. I just thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, to me, it just feels like if if I had to say, like with with podcasts, or whatever. I think that yeah, the institution it just seemed it's gotten kind of boring, or we've done it for a while, so it's just we might as well move on to that next thing. Just like we moved on from the curved TVs to HD. Was HD Curve television TVs. a revolution? Yeah, <laughs> that's was, yeah. was, was HD TV a revolution? It's uh, nice. It's nice. It's something Toby different. I'm going to enjoy the Super Bowl. Yeah, we got some upgrades. I I don't also don't ever think you. I think this institution keeps its power and it, like the Matrix almost. Like the the Bitcoin crypto stuff seems like they just built a different matrix so you could live. You know, the war, there was the perfect matrix, and then they had to eventually show you that you had to have pain and bad stuff and all that. So, I mean, like even with this uh, the GameStop and everything, I, I still don't know how much actual control and manipulation the hedge funds 
actually had. Maybe people are saying they lost billions. We're going to fuck them over forever. Still don't know. And so, and so, like even with the podcast, I wonder too how how many of those Christians, especially maybe maybe males and maybe females as well, but at least with males, Joe Rogan is their pastor now. You know what not I mean? Right. Like he, he's not even a Christian. Toby, you're their pastor now. You don't have no. to go to Joe. Yes. For a lot of people. See, that's what I'm saying. That's where you two disagree. That's where you guys are on the opposite of the spectrum. You're not, they, their, yeah. you're not their only pastor. And that's a and this is something that Carter <laughs> this is something that Carter had to convince me of over years of friendship. And I try and give you credit, Carter, anytime I talk with people about this, that when I started podcasting, piggybacking on your guys' work. I felt work. like I don't, we don't call it work usually. Like in that sense, we say we got to go to fucking work sometimes, but we don't usually call it our yeah. work. Well, whatever. When I, <laughs> I piggybacked on this show and your network that you started, um, and I'm very grateful, eternally grateful for that. When I started, I saw myself as like I think I think I've told you guys this. I don't know if I've done it on the air. As a kind like in a in a kind of a naive sense, a corrective to the things that you guys were getting wrong about the world. <laughs> <laughs> And I was this like voice of reason for these wild entertaining guys. And Carter would say to me, look, it's not like you don't have any good ideas, but like you think that people take what I say, I Carter as gospel truth, but I'm just one data point among many in their lives. Then they're sorting things around. And I have come a lot further to Carter on that continuum. I think you were right about that in a way that I was blind to and had an inflated sense of my own ability to kind of shepherd people or some shit like that. So that's true. That's true. So you're not their only pastor, Toby, but you are a fucking pastor and you should admit that. <laughs> well, it depends on what you mean by that, because if you mean like the definition of, of pastor as, as we grew up, it, it's not that you, you're an input. Maybe you are someone who's a little bit older who can who can tell them it's okay to ask questions, but that doesn't necessarily mean pastor in the traditional sense. Sure, I mean it's obviously it's a slightly different version of pastoral care, and you're not doing the like in person stuff that a lot of pastors do. Yeah, well, but Toby can say Toby, figure. Yeah, teaching, Toby can say I'm not a pastor and be a, correct. It's a lot. It's it's quite a bit like a teaching pastor. I mean, it really is. <laughs> oh my the teaching God. pastor does not do the funeral and the wedding. He does why, not come over to your house when you find to, out about cancer. You see, know? this is Dan. You always try to do this. You always try to rescue the language for the church. I'm trying to We've give got Toby to shit. Redeem the church. Is what I'm really trying to do. <laughs> just do away with pastor altogether. Toby's just a content content creator who, sa- who speaks his Convict. opinion <laughs> in a sea of other content creators. Admit it. <laughs> He's a grifter. He's doing it for cash only. <laughs> He doesn't care about these people. I don't give a damn. I'll sell a dildo or vibrator to any motherfucker. <laughs> MarriageSupply.com. We got no porn on there. But no, I, I'm just saying, I, I I think the the thing that I would, that Matt and I tried to do was be just as authentic as we possibly could be. And that's not yeah. always, we're not always authentic. But that's the thing where the church, I think, gets into trouble. I don't think the church is authentic. That's what I think people are longing for with Bitcoin yes. or, or Reddit or anything. They want, like the Wall Street Bets guys, you think, man, at least they're fucking telling it like it is. Or at least, you know, I mean, I think that's what people thought about Trump. I think they thought, I mean, Trump really was a political outsider. 
Yep. He wasn't. He was not. He truly, was. He, you know, he truly had no idea how the system worked. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He proved That's it. a pretty good definition of an outsider. <laughs> but we keep yeah. seeing these surprises, and you're not going to stop seeing. That's what I'm saying. What is the significance of what Under Oath, led by Tim McTague, has been able to achieve, and what might that change? What might change the music next? Is what I'm saying. What Does is going to happen anything? here next? I'm just saying little things change, and on top of big things, and then it's really yeah. big stuff is. Is different, and you see, and then an outsider can get elected. A Christian band can mm-hmm. go to number two in the Billboard. A, right, uh, you know, a, all of a sudden you can change the game stock, take it out of. You know, you can actually fuck with Wall Street now. Right. Like, I mean, we're seeing a lot and, of just like borders being being crossed. Yeah, and lines getting blurred between categories of who's in and who's out. You had Wall Street, this gated institution that you had to be licensed and have an agent and all this stuff, and then some guys make an app. And gamify the whole system where you just push buttons on this app that's really pleasurable to your psyche, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm making money. Like, and of course, a bunch of gamers get on there and and, and start winning at the game, and that kind of runs afoul of the you know legacy institution. And I think we see that across across the board is just the the lines are getting blurred. Used to be you had to stay in your lane, you had to know your role, you had to be in politics your whole life to be president. And now that's just pushed over. And now we see people who are moving between lanes and coming in and out. And it seems like anything's possible and it's kind of chaotic. But And I so think, you are stoked, man. I'm into it. Yeah, I like you, it. You've never yeah, I'm been way happier. Into it too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like, yeah. it's no, I'm worried. I worry too. I worry too. I do. I, I do a little bit uh, resent being, I know you're kind of joking to make it into a debate, Carter, but. I don't just defend legacy institutions as a default. And the survey has nothing sure to do with <laughs> the survey has nothing I mean, to do with, with us he does because because we say hyperbolic things like um the education system dead. should be abolished and stuff. And yeah, then yeah, of course right. Dan has to weigh in on the other side of that. But in like, that you know. in that case, I am uh, a moderating <laughs> factor that it brings in some facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. We, we but we don't actually hyperbolically, you know, but still. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I do generally yeah. – I mean I, I am more worried about the disillusion of institutions. I worry about what takes their place. I think right. that to some degree – actually, I think you could make a very strong argument that what we're seeing – and we don't have to talk about Trump and stuff. But what we saw on January 6th and what we are seeing with Christian nationalism and Donald Trump is basically came out of a vacuum of what the church should be doing and didn't do for people. It got – it got too worried about market-driven factors. And as the congregants of those churches began to go to Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity for their actual spiritual formation and not their pastors, mm-hmm. uh, those pastors realized that if they challenge Tucker Carlson, they get fired. And so they stopped challenging Tucker Carlson. And most of those pastors don't agree with their congregants. I mean, there's really good data on this. There's a real split between the elite evangelical class, the the big pastors, the people with seminary degrees, and the people in the pews. And they and they know they can't say anything about it or their jobs are at risk. Wow. And yeah. that, that went incentives. on for so long right. that now because you have a complete shit show. Because the, the bottom line is threatened when you right. tell people that what they don't want to hear. But I think the, one of the problems is that that your that explanation doesn't address is that people who are conspiratorial minded People yeah. who are drawn to conspiracy thinking are drawn to this eschatology evangelicalism. They are drawn into the end times and the apocalyptic 
language and the yeah. way it's all going to come down. And they're always reading the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other and trying to I go, agree. see, see, you know. Yeah. And so those people are automatically going to be in that um, that evangelical, um, I don't know. Yeah, but like milieu. the people that those, but but the candidates that those people, you know, stood for hard were Jimmy Carter and then Ronald Reagan and then George W. Bush, you know, maybe some Ross Perot in there. Uh, like Trump it represents, for whatever reasons, a new phase of that. And the church really failed its constituents. And I, I'm just saying that as an example of, well, what happens when the church fails? If it's that, <laughs> then I might not want it to fail. You know? So, but if you trace that thread, then what you're saying is when the church failed, how it did, those people were looking for somebody who would tell, who at least would seem, this is where the grift come in, to tell it like it is. Oh, or well, authenticity. Grifter, grifter all, grifted his way all the way to the White House. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. But, I mean, but they went, grifter. No, but I'm saying all the way back, yeah. though, they went to yeah. the Mark Driscoll. Yes, yes. And then to Pastor Toby. Yes. And then a lot 100%. of the, the, no, the, you know, the mainstream has, version off to Trump. But it's these yeah. little indie communities that self-identify. Like the people that already liked uh, hardcore music and uh, alternative and were a little dark, they like Pastor Toby. The ones that like yeah. big boats and nice houses, they like uh, Pastor Trump. You know, the ones well, that they, like, you know. The, I think the, we're what, think, we, we have too narrow of a perspective when we think of it in terms of the church and what's the church's role. I think fundamentally Trump, Trump is the result or his, his appeal to these evangelicals is the result of economic forces in our country. I think Andrew Yang spoke to it really, really well, whether or not you like his, his solution. But the fact that over the last 40 years, um, the middle class uh, of America has shrunk and has been under extremely, uh, you know, economic pressures. The rich have gotten richer, um, at, at a rate that's far beyond what the middle class has gotten richer as. And, and so you see this like disenfranchisement of the Republican voter base, really. I mean, I think you can think of it in terms of this is not like the church not doing its job. I mean, it might be, but I think it's, it's about a, a America, the promise of the American dream failing the American people yeah. so that a populist and a grifter becomes appealing because at least he's a strong man and he's going to, you know, drain the swamp and, and, and fix things because things aren't working for him. That, that would make sense of the 2016 vote, but not the 2020 vote. I, I think that, uh, we, you know, we don't have to get into political science here, but my sure, own sure. brief take is that social grievance polis- politics are far more important to Trump supporters than anything financial. And if, if it was financial, then they would have recognized by 2020 that all he did was give tax cuts to the rich. That's the only thing he did financially. And they, that didn't change it. They still voted for him yeah. anyway, and evangelicals even more so. But so, I think I don't know. But I think but, it's but, all but just what he does and what he stuff. says. It's 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 all sim, it's all symbolism on both sides. Yeah. What he symbolically represents is an outsider who actually, when he talks about he's for the people, they believe him because he's an outsider. He's not this politician. I think that worked his in 2016, but not 2020. But yeah, but by 2020, it, it was just we're polarized. So everybody's just ha- spent four years just whatever. Yeah, and I mean like, the pandemic. Don't you it think if there, was, if there was no COVID, I think Trump would be our president. <laughs> I, I think that's I think, quite possibly true. I think those yeah. evangelicals did. I, I think you're right in the sense of money, them them not understanding what he was doing, but the image that he portrays, strong man that make America rich. Yeah, we're still vulnerable that, to it. I mean, I mean, he he in clearly for his four yeah. for his four years, he would say, "Look how high the stock market went." 
and people that don't know anything about stocks go look at our stock market. Look how low my gas prices are. Look at <laughs> I mean, we hadn't had one war. They would just say those. They would the, the checklist things that he would repeat over and over at his rallies. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think that they bought into that. And that's one of the things I think that the church fails at is there there aren't. Uh, I don't like the idea of the strong man, but there aren't even the strong personalities are are just so cyclical in what they're preaching. It's always uh, against like it's been funny the last few nights I've seen uh, Kirk Cameron sitting by his fire pit uh, talking and and he's just preaching. And it's exactly like (laughs) the messages I've heard a million times. They're just so bad. and, And he just wants you to know that there is evil. And it is bad, but that Jesus loves you, and it's gonna, and it's so cheesy, and it's so worthless, and it's so repetitive, <laughs> and, I, and and he's it, it's, it's portraying the strong guy that would stand up to Hollywood. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't do what Hollywood, all those other weak people did. He, he's portraying that, and it's just, it's terrible. There isn't anything. So they've been hearing that over and over, and then finally you got this. Uh, presidential candidate that, that makes fun of ted cruz you go yeah ted cruz is stupid or, or <laughs> yeah. you know you, you might would have voted for ted cruz but he makes fun of him or or uh, jeb bush or he makes fun of the people that you that are supposed to be fighting for you and he goes no they're not fighting for you they're this and he comes up with this slogan you know he's a master marketeer really and so i think that's the church doesn't have any strong voices not a egocentric you know narcissist megalomaniac crazy person they they just need a, a a solid voice that says, "No, this is what you're supposed to do." Like you know, I mean, like what I feel like Jesus probably was like. He didn't, you know, turning the tables and being real. But that, I mean, all all this is the the church has failed because it just caters to those people. And now Trump latched onto that. He goes, "Oh, wait a minute, let me hold up a Bible." I'll so easily, yeah. they're so easy to manipulate. Yeah, the yeah, vacuum that, that, had okay, been that's what I mean, yeah. Mac. That the church failed in terms of moral formation, right? Or or a bunch of people in the church individually failed, but I mean, whatever, however you want to say it, like the moral formation was not there to recognize Trump for who he was, who he told everyone he was from the beginning. Yeah. Or they recognized it and they had no problem with it, which is worse. Uh, So that's, that's what I mean. I I just mean, um, you know, some people think the church should be in the business of like literally distributing food and, electricity bill vouchers and stuff like that. That's really interesting. I, I just mean like in a moral sense, in a form, in a formation sense, it's failed a generation of older folks, which has resulted in an increase of an exodus of younger folks yeah. who look at their parents, saw one Trump rally unedited, just heard the guy's words, then saw their parents posting about him on Facebook in glowing terms and said, fuck it, peace, I'm out. Like yeah, that was, this yeah. is so obviously not what you raised me to do. Right. And it's, there's no question about it. And the fact that you can't see it makes me wonder what else you can't see. Yeah. And does that apply to, I don't know, the most foundational things is you taught just, me. Is that just not the story of growing up though, becoming disillusioned with your parents, seeing adults as hypocrites and finding your own way. I mean, I think it's, it's a, it's the death of naivete in some sense. And maybe that's a good thing. It all depends on who your parents are, honestly. I mean, yeah, like that's what happens naturally with worse parents uh, and hopefully not what happens <laughs> I mean, with good parents. To some like, extent, I, I don't I have not met I have not met a lot of people who haven't gone through that to some extent of looking at your parents sure. as, as human beings. Finally, the, the veil has been lifted. They're not your parents. They're flawed human beings. And they taught you some things that were garbage. And you have to throw that away and you have to figure yeah. out what to replace it with. I mean. 
that's just reality in some sense. I'm just that's my yeah, hopeful but message the, the, of but it the key, could be good. Yeah, but the key mistake in my view, looking at it from a child's point of view, is that it. They they did. It's, I know you you know your parents can make mistakes. That's actually not that hard for a kid to understand. I swear. But the they offloaded so much to the church and the authority and the institution instead of just Bible be right and wrong about everything. Right. right. They yes. just offloaded right. the whole thing. Yes. And yeah. so that's particularly not fair. They offloaded it to James. I can Dobson. Ha- you can handle right. You can and handle your parents being right and wrong. 30. That would make sense to a nine-year-old, sure, five-year-old, totally. thirteen-year-old. Totally. Of course it does. Yeah, but then you're thirty and you see James Dobson saying Trump's a baby Christian. I just talked to him. He just yeah. accepted the Lord. Right. And you're like, the vac- you yeah. are a fucking fool. <laughs> yeah. And you were in charge of my childhood. Yeah. Like yeah. what yeah. did you know what I mean? That is different than. Oh, my parents make mistakes. My parents and offloaded right all everything. my decisions to him about yes. what I could do of uh, what everybody was living with. And it was that guy. Yeah. And it was and always it was that I mean, guy. I yeah. guess to some extent, but that's that's your um that's that's the veil being lifted about James Dobson. It's like, oh, he was always hey, yeah. This. Uh, agree. Agree. No, right. exactly. I'm not I'm saying like I have had the uh <laughs> pleasure <laughs> is the wrong word, but I got an idea from my friend to buy some of my old Abeka textbooks on eBay that I like had in ju- in junior high and high school, my Christian school. Okay. There is some fucked up <laughs> shit in there, man. Like yeah. now I can just read it as a, I know what a textbook's yeah. supposed to look like and I can get it. And it's like, you know, it's like this tribe of Native Americans were didn't love the Lord and they were killed by <laughs> oh, this. Pe- and then this more peaceable tribe, they assimilated well with the colonists. And I'm just like, <laughs> holy shit, what was yeah. I raised with? Yeah. So it's I have this I have a theory about faith deconstruction that we don't we don't have to get into that. But I think it holds here, too, which is like if you're deconstructing your faith, the more rigid and more tightly knit group and the the further of the world that the Bible speaks to, what you know, whatever, multiply all those things, the crazier your deconstruction process has to be because it's a bigger house of cards. It's more flimsy sure. and more of yourself feels like it went through the meat grinder as you sort that out. But right. if you're raised by like moderate Methodist Democrats in Berkeley or whatever – yeah, you find out, oh, I don't know about that thing about yeah. Jesus. Well, it's fine. It's yeah. not going to bother you. It's right? like, you know, right. S- Santa Claus doesn't yeah. literally give me my gifts on Christmas, but I still like the holiday. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the non-religious, half-religious Jews and stuff. Like they right. get something out of it. They don't, right. they're not yeah. ruling anything it's, it's, out hardly. Sh- nice Shabbat just, dinner with my family. They get the yeah. best of all the world. They don't have to do all the stuff. But yeah, you, you know, tell them, really, hey, you yeah. know, Moses didn't write the Torah. They're like, fuck if I care. You know? Yeah. So That's devastating for other people. There is a flip side to that, which is that the more insular and the more all-consuming your religious community is, the more central a part of your life it is. And if you think that religious faith can be a good thing, then you do want some of that in people's – in your kids' lives. And the balance there is one of the interesting things that I'm trying to think through is like how do you – what's the balance to strike between it being completely their choice and you have no effect on it and you suffocating them – with an unhealthy right. community. I just say no dogma. You're not allowed to give your kids, like, you know, I don't give my good. kids any dogma. Pretty good rule of any type. Like, well, she was, I, they were getting, they were learning about Black Lives Matter at school today, and I haven't taught her anything about that, and I haven't taught her anything, almost anything about anything that's do- going to be dogma. 
not right. even about God. I don't even teach her that stuff. Yeah. Right. I just avoid well, it. I, don't I think, think that, there has I mean, she can, I'm just not going to do it. There's something to be said about um, Dan. You were saying like people who are who were raised in this who kind of built their whole lives around it, and it was just really like their whole life style and everything permeated with yeah. this. And I think probably one of the biggest failures of the church or of the I don't know what you call evangelical church is this like protection and propagation of the kind of like the first naivete, like don't question, just believe what the authority says, whatever, whatever. And you can keep that like long into your life. I had like the, my experience was I had the, the, I guess the privilege of being able to deconstruct like partway through my teens. And then again, when my parents got divorced, when I was like 21, 22, you know, so I had like all these pieces kind of slowly come apart. Where I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm reforming myself the whole time. Yep. And so I developed this, mm-hmm. this um, I don't know, pattern of just doing that naturally. But um, but the, the church is really good at protecting itself from anybody who would promote any sort of deconstruction. You just stay in that naive space of where you just don't question, where you just agree. And then, yeah, people turn 30 and they're, you know the whole thing comes down and it's ama- it's amazingly devastating in their lives. If you wanted to think of that in your theory, Dan, then you'd say the more ex- the more acute or rapid the event, like, oh, it was Trump or I've got to fight my dad and now we don't talk anymore, and the deeper it is, the, like the less time it happens over and the deeper of the connection to the what the whatever way you put it would be the most likely that they will be replace that dogma with another dogma. Probably. I don't, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Because when you're saying the stable people that were raised in Berkeley, that person can deconstruct deeply, stably and put something back together that might be more rational. I'm like two thirds of the way to the Methodist in Berkeley example, because my parents are not fundamentalists. My dad was a therapist my whole life. So he was never welcome in these super strict environments. They were not dogmatic with me at all. As parents, I got most of my shit from evangelical junior high and high school. That's where mm-hmm. I got the worst stuff. And, you know, they thought it was a good school and I get it. And it's it's life. Um, and it was good. I had actually a great experience on the whole, but I did have some stuff to rethink. But, yeah, I just didn't. It wasn't as violent for me. For me, most of the turmoil came from my anxiety disorder. It was a personality thing. I was always going to have to work through the stuff that terrified me. Because I had an dis- uh, anxiety disorder from childhood. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, the I guess, yeah, if you can space it out over time, that's obviously better. Um, but also probably I would, I would say that most people for whom their parents came out in vocal support of Trump, there would have been some hints, right? I mean, that, that wouldn't come in a vacuum. Just come over, yeah, just- beat you over the head with that like unless you're maybe quite a bit younger like maybe you're 19 and that happens and you you know but if you're 30 and that happens we're looking at peers in their 20 late 20s and and 30s and they like to me it's like good you're behind the curve like time to wake up time to snap out of it you know like that these people (laughs) aren't critical thinkers (laughs) well you guys i mean it's I, i don't blame you for this but you guys talk about it with a little bit of glee sometimes like finally get this bullshit system out of the way. Yeah. But there's personality, like, a, a like lot you said, real like human said, cost. I mean, like you said, personality, it depends on the personality. Like some yeah. people are going to wallow for many, many years. Some sure. people are going to have all these different, you know, psychological ailments. 
Um, and some people are just going to move on quickly and be like, well, that was a waste of time. You know, and so, <laughs> yeah. well, well, the deeper that you're in, like for me, for example, growing up in church, got a prophecy or whatever that as opposed to the Ber- Berkeley Methodist is yeah. that they only have stuff to gain in order for me to leave. I have to lose. I have right. to lose yes. the things that I that I had yeah, that yeah. were so that I held on to and really trusted, and I had a team and a group that all were very focused. It was like yep. watching Clemson Tigers play football and every oh, everybody right. wearing orange. I mean, I I have to take off the shirt and not be there anymore. I yeah. I can only lose. So that's why it's so felt so hard to do because it's really scary. I don't want I want to hold on to as much as I can because I don't want to lose. Once I lose it, then what? It, what's the, what's the gain there? Uh, oh, now I think a different way. But I thought I used to think a certain way, and that was wrong. So is this right. new way? How do I trust it? Yeah. Does that mean that then for you to say that it's, it's like you that tribe was pre-polarized, even without a polar enemy really right there? They invented the enemy as like right. Baptist, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they weren't. They weren't. There wasn't anybody to be as radical as they were. Yeah. And then that really puts you in that really. It was. Like you grew up in what would have felt like a more stressful time at an earlier era of a tribe at war. Like that was the environment felt more that way. So yeah. it's, like it's so do you look back at it now and go, Oh yeah, I grew up as part of a radical group. Uh yeah. Honestly, I think a I radical do. I mean, religious group. Yeah. I mean, just if you just broadly get all the way out, I mean that micro environment of yours, I guess that kinda is right. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the way that's why I feel bad like when people talk about how stupid and terrible and awful the People that stormed, you know, J- January sixth or whatever, the in- insurrection, the attack against the White House. Those people, they just what were they going to do? They, they just had to believe. Like, what if they if they said no, our president is isn't good, then every they lose everything. They, they they're not. I mean, who do they? Where do they go? Where do they turn to? Who do, who do they go eat at Applebee's with next week? Especially after I, I, who, a year's worth of, of lockdown pandemic where all right. you had was this community online that you developed yep. where you, you, you had this huge conspiracy yeah. spinning out of control, but at least you felt like you belonged to something, like you were part of something bigger than yourself. And so like, of course, I mean, that's, I think so much of this <laughs> stuff too is lockdown related. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, there could, there was only going to be casualties if they stayed on the sidelines and didn't do that. They would have lost some connection with their their tribe, their group. Right. And if they go, they're, then they're going to be faced yeah. with realizing, you know, how bad it is for yeah, them. Yeah, it, it was like the big IRL yeah, meetup. Them, but yeah, it was but the I, big I mean, IRL meetup of the group. And if you I mean, were that, like that, die hard, you were there. This whole GameStop thing is. It felt like for a change, every, all all the little guys were on the same side instead of pointing at each other, yelling at each other. They were like, hold the line. We're, right, you know, yeah, that's fuck strategic. That, fuck that know. big guy. Like it just felt like for a change, it wasn't everybody totally shitting on each other. It was like a little bit of hope with each other. Like, yeah. man, we could if we all came come together, we can do this. Like, I think those right. people probably thought if we all come together, we're going to make Trump president. But that, I, th- I think they that's really believe that, right? That's our particular volatility right now, though, because that can, now that can simply be that's a playbook. Now, hold the line. will come. You'll see. Hold the line oh, again. Yeah. And now. this is why it, weapon, I really you know. want a healthy church. <laughs> because well, you think these that's are gonna the, save you be my guest be my i'm just guest. saying like I, I it might be 50 years down the road i don't know how long it will take for it to be a real factor in our culture mm-hmm. but it uh, has some place so no doubt about that everything toby's talking about of like finally it was all of us on a team and doing the right thing together is like literally how i would have described my christian summer camp like right that, it, it is the same 
stuff. It is and collective effervescence. You yeah, know, nothing feels better than just like working in the dish pit at Christian yes. summer camp with your friends, washing three hundred dishes, doing a, being a part <laughs> of something too. bigger than yourself. Yeah. Like so, if that stuff is unextinguishable from humans, then this is why I am interested in making institutions healthier. Because mm-hmm. I don't think we can live without them in the general sense. We could invent new ones to replace the old ones or they can shift or whatever, but we're going to have them one way or the other. And it matters that they're healthy. You guys, we got to make a summer camp. Yes. Yeah, oh camp. my gosh. A bad Christian summer a camp. A week long summer camp. Yeah. The question, what's the over under on somebody getting alcohol poisoning <laughs> and you guys being sued? No, it'd be for alcohol. It'd be own. alcohol free. Alcohol free. Uh, we only do non-alcoholic beer now. Yeah. Only staff can drink after the campers are asleep. Campers are you adults know, too. You know, I've never I've done so many things, but have not been sued for all the crazy shit we've done and not the right way. I've Knock never really wood. had any First legal trouble, and there's no really explanation for that. But I I believe that I will be able to continue to not get sued. <laughs> I hope I'm, that's right. <laughs> I would. A nice I would very much. I'd very much want to go to that summer camp. If Some you cabins. I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd have sports crew. We'd have production staff where, you know, they do jokes and games and everything. I mean, we figured the whole thing out. It'd be so Skits. amazing. It'd be an orgy within 34 hours. <laughs> <laughs> we need an enemy, though. We have to have an enemy. We don't we have Unite that. against the devil? Yeah. yeah. yeah we, Other yeah, we podcasts don't we don't like. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Time's up. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan.